0: Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken.
1: Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Strength to Strength, where we seek to um, praise our King in every way we possibly can. And today, we're happy to have Brother Finney with us from Boston speaking on kingdom business and through this we seek to search out ways to um, praise our savior and our king in our everyday lives Uh, we won't be fielding questions this morning after the talk Um, he's going to use this time to establish a, a groundwork for the talk this afternoon and that is where we will have our qu- question and answer. And we will be closing it off five minutes early as well as Brother Finney has another meeting to attend to. Uh, before we get started, let's just bow our heads for a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we come before you this morning. We thank you that we can call you Father. We thank you that you care about your children. We thank you that for all the brothers and sisters that have gathered here this morning, we pray, Lord, that um your word would be taught we pray that we our hearts would be attentive we thank you for brother finney we pray that you would um, give him clarity of thought may your holy spirit be present and move among us we pray this all in jesus name amen um go ahead brother finney introduce yourself and it's yours
0: great great well it's really good to be with all of you this morning thanks for getting up early and spending the time here. This is a subject which I'm, I'm very passionate about, very interested in, and I hope that comes through here. I thought I'd open up with a little bit of introduction about my relationship to the subject of, of business and kingdom business, as we'll talk more about here. So I, I did not ever really anticipate that I would be a, a voice in the business community in any way. For, in fact, if you'd asked me for most of my life, uh, business was pretty far from how I was thinking about the world. Uh, my first love was medicine and science. From the time I was five years old, I knew I wanted to be a doctor. I was I was always interested in biology and in helping people. And And so I did. I got after college. I studied chemistry in college. After that, I went to medical school. And there I did. Uh, I completed a medical degree. I also did a PhD in chemistry. And then after that, I worked as a, what they call a resident, a medical resident, uh, which is, they're, they're the workhorses of the hospitals. They're the ones who work in teaching hospitals and admit patients and serve patients. And you're, you're really in the trenches with caring for, for people. And at the conclusion of that, I did what's called a fellowship where you further specialize. And so I, I specialized in in something uh, involving fields uh, called transfusion medicine and phoresis. So this is a domain of medicine that involves caring for people who have blood disorders. So some of you will know diseases like sickle cell anemia. Uh, all of you will know leukemia, lymphoma, and then obscure diseases that I don't think anybody would know called uh, thrombotic thrombocytopenia purpura, or TTP. So I used to take care of people who had these diseases. And along the way, when I was working as a resident and a fellow here in the trenches caring for patients, I started to notice something that brought me further and further into the the world of business and as we'll talk about later investing, which was that a lot of the great innovations that were happening in medicine were not being done in hospitals by doctors. They were happening in companies and they were happening in a for-profit setting. Uh, The hospitals that that I worked for were not-for-profit. And these for-profit businesses were increasingly obvious to me is where a lot of the the action was occurring. So I'll give you an illustration of this. When uh, I mentioned I used to take care of both adults and children who had leukemia and the, the probability, the chance that your child, if you had a child with leukemia, in 1970, that that child, that he or she would make it to adulthood, was only 10%. So it was pretty grim odds that you were facing, that you would lose that child due to that leukemia. Well, today, it's more than 90%. So a complete flip that now leukemia is a very treatable disease. There is a tremendous Uh, advances that have been made even in the last couple of decades here and in general in the world of cancer I I would say a lot of in fact the vast majority of some of the most interesting advances and most significant advances have come from the world of business and the for-profit sector and so I saw that and I'm just my personality is I'm attracted to to where the actions at and where the the real innovation and progress is being made. And so my wheels started turning more and more and a couple of different arrows pointed together in the same direction. And I ended up uh, stopping to actually see patients and I joined a firm that does what's called venture capital. And so venture capital is a field that if you'd asked me what it was before I started, I wouldn't even have known. (laughs) But venture capital is a field where Basically, you, uh, you look for what are going to be the next big innovations in a field and you fund them, you fund those and you create companies around big ideas. So we would have different professors that would come to our, our office from, from Harvard and MIT and Stanford and you know, very brilliant people. And they would say, oh, I have this, this idea for some therapy for multiple sclerosis or diabetes or cancer. And we would listen to hundreds and hundreds of these professors speak, and we would choose the ones that we felt were the most compelling, and then we would build companies around them. And and then we would uh, take board seats on those companies, and eventually those companies would be hopefully purchased. And so the way that you make money in venture capital is you put in some some money. It's eventually bought by, hopefully, by a larger company, and that difference between what is bought for and what you put in is, is the, the profitability of the business. And, and so I, I came into that field and I absolutely loved it. I found it to be very intellectually stimulating and rewarding. I got involved in, in starting a lot of companies and being on the boards of a lot of companies and just found it to be such a compelling way to use the gifts that, that I have to help human flourishing. And in particular, to help those who are suffering from from disease. Along the way, I started my own company called, called Eventide, and uh, there I was getting more and more interested in how to bring in faith-based or kingdom principles into business and investing. And so, I'm not going to talk too much about Eventide here, but but it is a it's basically a business that primarily serves Christians who want to not be connected to areas like abortion, pornography, tobacco, et cetera, and coming up with ways where we can advance areas that are compatible with biblical values, but at the same time, uh, not not profit in ways that are, are uh, against very core ideas of scripture there. And so we'll talk a little bit more of that in the afternoon about some of these ideas investing. So that's how I got into this. And now um, I, I have been at this for about 12 years and have done exercises of back of the napkin, hey, let's dream about a field. And some of those companies are now publicly traded companies on the NASDAQ. I've been on many, many boards. I've worked with a lot of some of the best executives, really in the whole in the whole industry. I feel very privileged to have been mentored by some of the some of the best people in, in good business and good investing. And that's why I'm I'm here on this call, and that's why I, I hope to share with you some of the insights that I've gained over the years. So let me let me start now with the substance of the talk. So that's that's who I am. I'm a I'm a physician turned businessman, and uh, it's still my full time job is working in in medical mostly medical and biotech companies. But what I want to do is now give a theological foundation for how i've come to see the world of business and then later on in the afternoon we're going to talk about how to use these concepts in a variety of ways we'll hopefully get to talk about a range of topics looking at the questions that i'm I'm quite excited to discuss so let's let's begin now with the substance here so first i want to tell uh, a little a little side story. Some of you have heard the expression Pandora's box. I don't know how many of you know what Pandora's box means and what that story is about, but it's a very important story for us to understand. So Pandora's box is the equivalent story of Genesis and the creation story in the Bible, but it's the equivalent for Greco-Roman mythology. So Pandora is the equivalent of Eve, uh, she's a uh, the first human female that was created by the gods in the Greco-Roman world. Uh, for those of us who have studied Greek, pan means all, dora is, is gift, so all gifts are every gift. So uh, she's a uh, a woman who was given all of these endowments and gifts by Zeus and all these various gods in their mythology, and Zeus actually gives her a box or a jar, and she uh, she's very curious what's in this box or jar. Zeus tells her not to open it, but eventually curiosity gets the best of her and she opens it. And when she opens this jar, this box, it unleashes a a whole torrent of sickness and plague and war. And interestingly, toil or work is in this jar. So before. Pandora opened this, this box or this jar, humans did not have to work. It was a, it was a different vision of paradise than, than we'll talk about in a little bit. And this is the equivalent to their fall in the Greco-Roman world was when Pandora opened her box. And, and this is so important for us to understand because one of the things that we still feel and experience in the world today is this notion that that work is fundamentally a curse of the gods and that a worker is someone who is experiencing a curse of the gods and so if this is the story that is right at the heart of one's worldview and as i will maintain it is still at the heart of a lot of how especially the west views work it it really changes your whole perspective on what work is—it's—it's it's something to be disdained. It's something to be, to be put off at a distance. And in this scheme, if if you believe that when Pandora opened her box, that disease and and war and work came out of that box, well, now what you are going to prize and you are going to pursue is instead a, an entirely different realm and. In the Greco-Roman thought, thought life, what they prioritize, what they care about is art, it's philosophy, it's, it's this, this world of aesthetics, this higher life that is not entangled with the dirtiness of the world of work. <laughs> and so, so this is very important. And one of the things you see all throughout the Greco-Roman literature is that the elites and the higher classes... Are trying to escape work if they can, and they want to relegate the work to slaves. Uh, so this is all throughout their their culture, their way their way of thinking. And so in in all of this, it's pretty obvious that that work is a almost a meaningless toil. It's something to be endured and not embraced. So this this basic story, the story of Pandora's box has animated a lot of the West and a lot of our views on work. And I hope, I hope you can, even when I told that story, I hope you can, you can realize how much that has seeped through even into modern America. You know, there's, there's this expression TGIF, thank God it's Friday. Right. And this, this idea of like, Oh, I just, I don't want to, I hate Mondays, Mondays, I got to get back to work. And it's all about living for the weekends where you get to, to relax and enjoy oneself and have a good time, that that mentality is is really a direct result of this Greco-Roman worldview that in many ways the West has inherited. So, so this is something that I want you to pay attention to this, and I want you to think about this, because we, we need to understand, and this this morning session is so important, and I'm so glad you're all here for this, because Unless we understand the different perspectives on work, we are going to be uh, seriously hampered in our ability to to do work in the ways that God wants us to do and to embrace kingdom business. Okay, so so that's the Greco-Roman picture. Hope that's that's clear from this alternative creation story from the world of Greco-Roman mythology. Okay, so now I want to talk about a another story, another Way that that work and business has been construed, and this is also something that we experience here in the West. Uh, something that really the whole world experiences, and it's something that has has gained ascendancy, especially in the last fifty years or so. You can see elements of it that go back further, but I would say it was crystallized and and very well articulated by an individual whose name was Milton Friedman. I don't know how many of you know Milton Friedman. He's, he, he won the Nobel Prize for Economics, a very brilliant man who, who uh, was uh, trying to describe uh, business in, in a way that made sense of the world, especially from an economic perspective. And he wrote a, a very influential article for the New York Times in the early 1970s that you can still find it online if you're interested to read it. It's it's worth spending some time for those who who enjoy history. So he wrote a an article that is called "The Social Responsibility of Business is to Increase Its Profits." Okay, the social responsibility of business is to increase its profits, and so he's writing this in the early 70s, and it's a it's a time in which one of the the most scarce uh, items, uh, one of those most scarce commodities at the time was actually financial capital. Now we're going to see, it's very different today. Today, the world is awash with capital, but back in the early seventies, uh, Friedman was was laboring over this constraint, this uh, this issue that there was very scarce financial capital in the world. And he, he essentially makes a, a construct that the, the job of business is to is to traffic and financial capital and basically focus on one dimension which is increasing profitability. And Friedman and Friedman is part of a larger group of economists. They're often known as the Chicago School. They're located in in Chicago, Illinois. Yeah, and again very brilliant people, very talented writers and, and many of them are are people who have been very influential in the world of economics and business, and they um, advanced this school of thought, which is one where, if you are a business, you have one and basically one and only one job to do, which is to maximize your profits and really not to consider other forms of capital. So, uh, the there are other forms of capital. Um, so there's human capital, right? So uh, thinking about about uh, people, uh, thinking about social capital, thinking about environmental capital. There's ma- there's many other forms of capital, but the the Friedman notion of what business is about is just maximizing the financial capital, and it's it's a mono-dimensional focus. I, I want to stress this because this is so so important to understand. I uh, you know right now we just to give an analogy here. We live in a time where everyone is focusing on COVID. It's like COVID, 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 right? And everybody is thinking about how do we minimize deaths from COVID? Well, I understand that impulse, but what happens when you have a a singular focus on COVID is you neglect bigger picture issues. So right now we live in a world where people aren't getting colonoscopies and mammograms and getting their PSAs checked. And so a lot of preventative cancer work is being neglected. There's uh, there's a tremendous neglect of mental health. Uh, My colleagues in the medical world are telling me that their clinics are stuffed to the gills with people complaining with depression, anxiety, because they don't have the same social interactions that they once did. So I use this as an illustration because I think we all understand that right now, it just seems like, man, all we do is talk about COVID and we're not thinking about human health more broadly. That's a lot of what the Friedman model represents is it's thinking about business with respect to one dimension and one dimension only, which is profits. Okay, so how has that model impacted the United States and Canada and the West? And in general, the the so-called multinational corporation is typically animated by the the Milton Friedman construct. Well, it has massively reframed and change the way that businesses operate. So today we live in a world where businesses in general are heavily rewarded to maximize their 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 profitability. So on Wall Street, what they care is about EPS, earnings per share, it's net profit per share. And there are, I mean, just tremendous amounts of, of work. It's hard to overstate that's gone into this notion of how does a business maximize its profitability? And how does it do whatever it can, however it can to to maximize its profitability? And uh, there's, there's a lot of kind of famous stories here that, that can illustrate this. Uh, Amazon.com famously, this was uh, in 2018, had $11 billion in profits. The B eleven billion dollars in profits, it paid zero dollars in taxes, and this caused a lot of outrage in in the world because you and I pay more taxes than than the one of the most successful companies in history owned by the wealthiest man alive, uh, Jeff Bezos, and and Amazon said, well, hey, this is what we're supposed to be doing, right? Maximizing our profits, and and um, <clears throat> I'm not trying to necessarily make a, a, a criticism here. I'm just trying to make a statement that that what happened then was Amazon received a huge backlash and they were thinking about where to have one of their new centers, one of their new hubs. And they selected New York as that hub, uh, Queens, in fact, and eventually the residents of Queens said, we don't want you here, Amazon, get away. So this this model of... Business as primarily about financial maximization has endured for a while, and now it's receiving a tremendous backlash. And so now you have a lot of people, young people especially, who prefer socialism. They'll, they'll self-describe as socialists, and they will say that uh, they prefer socialism over, over capitalism. So, in fact, if you look in the 18 to 29 group, more people say they want socialism over capitalism. So why is that? it's because there has been a a reaction to a lot of businesses that they perceive, the public perceives as being about financial maximization instead of seeking a more holistic good there. And so a lot of what you see and read in the media, you should, now that you're hearing this, this explanation, you should view this in the light of this Milton Friedman construct of business as maximizing profits. Okay. so. Those are the two stories I want us to hold in our mind. So the Pandora's box story, which is the Greco-Roman Garden of, Eve, fall, Garden of Eden fall story, and then there's the Milton Friedman Chicago School way of looking at business, which is about maximizing profits, and that has made many very profitable businesses. But now there's a backlash to that. So anytime you have you have these two competing stories there, there's there's often a third way, there's often in the biblical framework, a different way of looking at the whole picture, which is is, is more accurate, although a minority um, a minority view. And that's what now I wanna make the case for. So instead I'm going to make the case that to really understand business, we should not, and, and work, we should not uh, adopt the Pandora's box, box construct nor the Milton Friedman construct. And instead we need to go back to Genesis and the Bible. So. Of course, all of us know this, that in Genesis 1, God himself is portrayed as a worker. He's making things in chapter 1. Uh, he's, he's portrayed as, as a person who is, is creating the world and all of its, its goodness and its beauty. And, and then, crucially, what we see, and, and a lot of people forget this, is that work was given to Adam and Eve before the fall into sin Uh, so this is in genesis chapter 2 verse 15 i'll just read it where it says then the lord god took the man and placed him in the garden of eden to work it and keep it work and keep okay so he was put in the garden um, and eve will follow soon in order to work it and keep it so notice that work precedes the fall now i hope you you pay attention to the contrast there with Pandora's box, when, when was work issued? It was issued at the, at the fall, quote-unquote, when she opened the, the box or the jar there. And in the, in the biblical framework, work was given to Adam and Eve as a gift, as, as intrinsic to their nature. And in fact, that should make sense because if God himself is a worker, and it's very clear from Genesis 1 that humans are made in God's image, it is only natural that we, as humans, in our in our normal state, should be regarded as as beings who are, are created to work. We are created to create. We are created to to uh, to set about extending the work of God, who who placed us on this earth to work it and keep it. Okay. So, in addition to that, one of the things that that we see is. <laughs> is that humans were, were created, in, in a sense, as a relational community. In this case, just the two, Adam and Eve. But they were given this joint purpose of being fruitful, of multiplying, of, of stewarding the earth. And, and in this community, this, this small community that existed, humanity falls into sin. And, and so we have this original purpose that, that God creates us for, which is to, to work the ground, to keep the earth, to extend God, to extend God's purposes. But in the, in the fall into sin, we, we see now an anti-purpose that comes in, which is that, and, and you see this happen very soon, particularly in the next couple of chapters, which is work can be warped. Work can be distorted where we now apply our creativity to harm others and to dishonor God. So we see these different lines that come from Adam and Eve and the line of Cain in particular, very creative, very, very brilliant workers in many ways. They go and they create musical instruments, they invent musical instruments. Uh, the the first polygamist uh, is, is introduced, Lamech there, uh, who is clearly an evil person, and they are utilizing the products of their work for harm? Now, he goes off and kills people and boasts about it, so we see when when sin comes into the world that work can now be used and, and it's very there's this implicit question almost that is being given to us in Genesis where the question is is will you join the line of Cain? or will you join the line of Seth? So there's two lines that are described early on in Genesis. Abel is of course killed. And after Abel's killed, Adam and Eve have Seth. And from Seth comes Noah and eventually Abraham. And then on the other line, we see we see Cain, we see Lamech. Both, both sides are working, but on the one side, we see work that is being deployed to honor God and serve others. And on the other side, we're seeing work that is being deployed uh, to to harm others and go across purposes with God. So, so this is this is very very interesting and very important here. The one of the one of the authors uh, that I've I've uh, respected over the years, his name is Jeff Van Duser, He he has said when you look at what what business represents in, in Genesis? And if you had to make a mission statement for business, right? A lot of a lot of you work in companies and you have a mission statement, right? So at my company, it's investing that makes the world rejoice where we try to promote the, the global common good and human flourishing there. Many businesses have mission statements. If you had to make a mission statement for business itself, what would that be? Van Duser offers the following mission statement. He says that business exists To create opportunities to express our God-given identity or image in meaningful and creative work. I'll say that again. Business exists to create opportunities to express aspects of our God-given identity or image in meaningful and creative work. And then secondly, businesses exist to produce goods and service that enable the community to flourish. OK, so I like that. I like that as a, as a nice condensed way that describes and packages up what what God intends for Adam and Eve when he gives them the Garden of Eden. When he gives them Eden, it's perfectly resourced. It has everything that they need for life, uh, but they need to they need to develop supply chains. They need to to till the ground. They need to order it. They, they have to put in work in order to take this well-resourced garden to be something that will ultimately drive towards the flourishing of broader society. Okay, so now I I wanna kind of go deeper here and and drive home this point because if if we get this, then we should be much more excited about business and that'll be a good setup for part two later on this afternoon. So as I said, I wanna hit this point again. So business in the Greco-Roman mindset is portrayed as evil. It is portrayed as the consequence of Pandora opening her box or her jar. And it's something where we look at it with disdain and we try to give it to slaves and somebody else. In the Milton Friedman construct, business is about maximizing profits, which I think we can all agree today has run amok. Um, Profit maximization alone leads to very dangerous behaviors and activities. Uh, One of the things that I I, I mentioned, I am a physician by training. I look at how most people are afflicted with disease, and I think, wow, this is the result of business gone amok. So about, according to the Surgeon General, about uh, 67% of all hospital admissions are due to poor eating alone. Just 67% in the United States, hospital admissions are due to poor eating alone. We think about diabetes, heart attacks, stroke. It's it's due to that. Now, why is this? And this wasn't the case many years ago. Well, it's because of course we have an epidemic of obesity and all these problems. Why do we have that? Well, you have now businesses that pay millions and probably billions of dollars every year to get people to enjoy and to have these sensations in their mouth and in their gut that are very pleasurable that are, are are really harnessing very deep biological pathways there that in turn get people to eat more you know you think about the mcdonalds and the sugary foods and all of the, the animal products and all these things that that are 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 very carefully engineered that leads to a high degree of, of problems due to profit maximization. Well, any business that is simply concerned about maximizing its profits is gonna say, let's do more of that. The more I can sell, the better off I am because I wanna maximize my profits. Who cares what harm I cause? And and now people are, are waking up and looking around at the world and are thinking, wait, wait a minute, look at all these businesses that are all about profit maximization and look at the, the carnage and the destruction in their wake. And now they're 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 reacting with that and saying, okay, we need socialism instead?" They're they're perceiving socialism is the antidote to the Milton Friedman uh, vision of what business could be. So instead, we have in the Bible a very different portrayal where work is not evil; it's given as a gift to humanity. But there are limits on that uh, on what work should be. So even in Genesis, we have limits about what work. Should be there. So the the first and most obvious limit that is portrayed in the garden is don't touch that tree over there. There's this tree, the knowledge of good and evil, that's not for you. And business in Genesis is represented as something that should have constraints upon it, and it is something that is not intended just to be do whatever you want. Um, This is very very important. This notion of God himself applying parameters and constraints on this. Uh, Manduzer again uses this analogy that the business is like this massive charge of a river that's just rushing on and flowing and and it needs levees and barriers to constrain it because there's so much water and it, c- it can create damage if it can't be can't be be controlled. so so I want I want to kind of return to this notion of business even in the New Testament. So a lot of people think about Genesis for good reason there. And I I started with that. But isn't it interesting that the son of God, when he comes to the world, uh, it's been said that in the Greek mindset, Jesus would have come as a philosopher. In the Roman worldview, he would have come as a statesman, maybe an artist. But Jesus actually comes as a carpenter. And I find that just so fascinating that that jesus continued in the the dignity of work that was represented in genesis 1 and shows us that that work is in fact uh, not degrading or sinful but it is something that god himself undertakes and in fact jesus himself says my father is always at work to this very day and i too am working it's in john five seventeen. so very very interesting this this concept of of Jesus Himself being uh, being one who would have worked for most of his life, just doing ordinary activities. There, I I like I like to think about now work in this way as a truly basic human need. Uh, it is something that is so basic, just like friendship, just like food, just like rest. We, we we need work, and I think this fits much more the, the Genesis vision than it does the Friedman or the Pandora's box vision because it, it's it's in our God-given identity to, to be workers. And a lot of us know people who have been out of a job for months, years, and there's something disturbing to that person, right? They're, they don't feel fully human in this because – we are designed to work. Uh, work is something that, and, and I, I will touch more about this later on, work and business are, are not merely something that, that are, hey, we're producing a good, uh, you know, we're not just producing a particular good or service here, but it is something so fundamental to our identity that we are st- understand ourselves through it. We understand our abilities, our gifts, our identity. So much of who we are as people are formed through our work. Um, this is true whether you're a stay-at-home mom, whether you're bagging groceries, whatever it is, you are um, you are incredibly shaped by the work that you do in ways that it gets difficult to overstate. Um, in addition to that, one of the one of the fundamental attributes of, of work and business is that it is probably one of the single most basic ways that we can put into practice, love your neighbor as yourself. I'm gonna read you a quote here from from Tim Keller who puts it well. He says this, imagine that everyone quits working right now. What happens? Civilized life quickly melts away. Food vanishes from the shelves. Gas dries up at the pumps. Streets are no longer patrolled and fires burn themselves out. Communication and transport services end. utilities go dead. Those who survive at all are soon huddled around campfires, sleeping in caves, clothed in raw animal hides. The difference between a wilderness and culture is simply work." So all of us have a a tremendous service that we can render to society and to the world by loving our neighbor, just by doing a job, whether you're repairing a car, whether you're bagging groceries, whether you're cleaning windows, whether you're a biotech person developing a medicine, doing business is one of the most fundamental ways of of um, of, of putting into practice the love your neighbor concept. Okay, so now I want to further elaborate here. I've got about 15 more minutes. I want to further elaborate on on this third view of business, and it's very different from the Friedman construct, and it's very different from the the, the uh, Pandora's, box, Pandora's box construct. So I want us to consider for a moment the pattern of the year of Jubilee. So there is a, a lot that has been written on this topic. I'm glad to see that more people are thinking about it, which is to go back and look and see how God intended the Israelites to be at work and what kinds of patterns and, and lessons that we can learn from that today. Of course, we know that they were supposed to uh, allow the ground to be fallow, to, to remain unplowed and fallow. Uh, and they were supposed to have this grand year <coughs> called the year of Jubilee, every 50 years, where what they would do is they would release, they would release all slaves, all debts. They would not be allowed to, to do any kind of tilling and, and, and farming and that sort of thing. And in in that pattern, there's something incredibly powerful. So I'll read you a quote from two authors, Roche and Jacob, who, who I think said it said it really well. And, and, and this quote, I, I'll be interested to hear how you react to this and we won't do an interactive session now, but how does this sound? I think it's an accurate description, but how does this sound compared to the, the Friedman notion of capitalism or to the, the Pandora's box vision of business. So they write this, at its essence, the Jubilee is about setting the captives free but practically speaking, it is about releasing people from overwork and from over indebtedness. It is about releasing the planet from overuse and over exploitation. It is about releasing wealth from overaccumulation in the hands of a shrinking minority many of whom are not equipped to contribute entrepreneurially to to growing the wealth currently in their hands in ways that go beyond making financial capital with financial capital. Okay, so that's a pretty challenging thought there that the Jubilee is about releasing people from overwork and over indebtedness. You weren't allowed to work for a whole year. You couldn't work the lands. You had to just have this year basically of, of celebration Allowing the land to to be fallow and to not be overexploited, and then to redistribute wealth. And it's it's a kind of a shocking concept to, to people who are pure freedmen capitalists, that that they did not want, God did not want there to be all this property that would accumulate into the hands of a minority, and he wanted that to go back to to ancestral patterns where it would be more equitably distributed. So If that is how God wanted business to operate for centuries, millennia, uh, before the coming of Jesus, I think we can at least say that there's lessons in that for us uh, who are in the world of business today. So what are some of those lessons? And I'll, I'll set the stage now from topics that we're going to embark on later this afternoon to engage in here. So the first thing, of course, that we see is there's no way in the world that one could understand business as being simply about maximizing financial capital, right? That's easy to see. In fact, God tends to, seems to hate it and have a a very suspicious view on those who are so wealthy and would rather that go back and and offer opportunities to those who may be indebted or impoverished. We, We learn in this that there is something that is Deeply wrong, I think, with the way that business is run today in the world. Now, there's many great things in the business world today, and, and as you heard, I participate very avidly in this world, although trying to, to modify it. Uh, there's there's something about uh, the way that work uh, and business operate today that have gone wrong. There's a, uh, an individual, Simon Blocker, who I, I read this quote often. I really appreciate it. He says, "Business is not as." It was intended. A vast devastation has struck it. Nevertheless, it is great in its ruins. Like a glorious cathedral after a bombing, business still displays the grandeur for which it was designed. Okay, so, you know, picture a, a beautiful cathedral and it's been bombed out. And you can walk uh, um, uh, in that cathedral and you can see, get the sense of how powerful and how beautiful this once was, even though it's in ruins. That's a lot about how I feel businesses today. It's, it has this great purpose, but it's been twisted. It's been deformed by a financial capital view, a Pandora's box view. And it's our job collectively in the church to bring it back to biblical purposes. Uh, just to illustrate that, that purpose a little bit more, I'm often amazed. I don't know if you are amazed at this, but I look at companies like Google, Coca-Cola, IBM, some of these companies, Google didn't exist in the early 90s. And today, it is a complete household word. Um, All over the world, everybody knows it. And very few countries would there be an unfamiliarity with that. And to think, wow, this just was a couple of young people who had this idea. They pushed it out. And I disagree deeply with a lot of the choices that they've made. I'm, I'm not at all advocating that. But I find it amazing that they were able to to harness their ideas with the kind of passion and dedication that they did to go into every nook and cranny of the world, and I I wonder how much there we we have um, when we look at that we have missed as as something for inspiration for our capacity as as kingdom Christians to bring. As, and we'll talk about this later, business's mission and the, the, the vision of, of the gospel to the ends of the earth. I, I often feel that the world and its dedication has, has exceeded the rest of, of the, the churches, in it's the, a greater mission that we have here. Okay, so, so there has been this, this uh, bombed out cathedral, if you will, that now represents the shell of business. Uh, it's been distorted in those two ways. We see this the framework of this third view here, which is not about financial maximization. But I, I read you that mission statement of business. What I'd like to do now is spend our last ten minutes or so, just starting to think and and dream about what what business could be like in this alternative third third view way. And this is this is uh, something that I'm very excited about, and I, I hope that we can extend this conversation into the afternoon in order to to sharpen one another better about this. So as we think about business, um, I mentioned before that the problem with the the Friedman construct is that it focuses on one dimension, which is financial maximization. There's a whole discipline out there called accounting, which is all about how you measure the books, how you measure the finances. And wow, you talk about a well-developed discipline There are a few disciplines like accounting that have the kind of rigor and training and textbooks and you can get degrees in it. It is a very, very rich discipline that is an important discipline. So although the business world has done an excellent job at developing this, this discipline of accounting and why does it do that? It's because it's been trained to maximize financial performance. It is very, very, very limited, very poor with the metrics and tools that we have today to measure value, to measure the richness in individuals, in communities, in nature, and these other types of capital. Okay, so this is so important because if if our idea as biblical Christians is to to have a view of business that's much more holistic, that is much more geared at serving the community, at at blessing the world, at enriching and enlarging human flourishing, Uh, not at pandering, not at at, uh, exploiting, but at, at offering quality goods and services there. We don't even have the tools, generally speaking, to measure what it is to succeed at value creation in those uh, other stakeholders. Now, this is what my company is all about. We're trying to develop these tools at a company I work at called Eventide. It's still a work in progress. We've made tremendous advance here over the last 10 years. But if you don't have these tools, okay, I think a lot of you know the, the terms in the red and in the black, right? So if you're in the red, it means you're losing money. If you're in the black, you're making money. So how do we know if a business is actually in the red or in the black in terms of value creation from that holistic perspective, right? So we know from an accounting perspective, easy, you can tell in 10 seconds how a company is doing there. Generally speaking, what what Christians have not done well at is, you know, there's this principle of you can only manage what you measure, right? Like if you care about things, you measure it. And if you don't care about things, well, you don't measure it what, what in general, the church, what Christians in general have done a poor job at is, is looking at business and creating the right set of tools and measures to understand whether or not a business is in the red or in the black with respect to, 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 to God's perspective of holistic value creation. I hope, hope this is making sense. So what, what we need to do to, to do this right in a in the third third view way, is we need to to develop a a richer set of tools and disciplines and ways of looking at the world where we can think about our business, not only in terms of finances, finances are important of course, but understanding the wider benefits of of that from a a human perspective, from an employee perspective, from an environmental perspective, and these these non-financial metrics they can help us to construct businesses that are more in line with holistic value creation. Okay, so um, I'll, I'll give here a couple of illustrations of this, and I will um, I'll conclude here at, in about five minutes. I used to work for World Vision. World Vision is a very large, not-for-profit relief and del- development organization. Uh, it's a huge organization. Uh, it's it's similar in some ways to CAM, Christian Aid Ministries, that a lot of you know. So I worked, I worked for them. It's the very first job I ever had, a low-level job, entry-level job. Really appreciated uh, working for them and, and working with them. But one of the things that World Vision discovered along the way was they were, uh, a lot of what they do and what they're famous for is child sponsorships. So you, you give a certain amount of money every month to sponsor a child who lives in a developing country and and then you, you give these funds, and then they try to invest those funds into the local communities, help the child, help the community, et cetera. Well, they had a a, a very powerful moment in the in the late '90s and, and early 2000s where they realized that they hadn't even really understood or developed the metrics on what it was to have success in improving a community. So they had raised hundreds of millions of dollars, were deploying that very consistently, but didn't even understand what the basic metrics were for success. Is there a greater dependency being created? Is there is there actual uh, true entrepreneurial uh, success that's being created? Like what's going on here? And, and instead what this very noble, very, uh, I, I would say, um, well-intended organization was doing was they were deploying funds in ways that lacked some of the discipline that really they needed in order to to succeed and and really have confidence that they were truly serving well the communities that they were they were serving. That's one one example of something where flying blind, right? I mean, imagine you're flying an airplane, you've got a blindfold on, you don't know what, you can't even see the gauges. Like, what are you doing? What are you flying for? What does success look like? And in general, I think this is a massive problem that we have today in business because we fall in prey to the Friedman vision of business. I don't wanna come across here as being anti-profit. I'm I'm not, a lot of people, when they hear me speak, they they think I'm trying to be like some kind of communist or something like that, I'm not. Um, And and I'm I'm misunderstood in this, so please don't misunderstand that I'm I'm speaking evil of of businesses having a, a profit. I'll, I'll close here with a little bit of an illustration that will hopefully be a, a setup for what we can talk about this afternoon, which is something again from I got from Van Duzer who who says that really what what a business should be about is very analogous to how we think about uh, we as humans think about uh, our purpose and the function of blood in our in our veins and our arteries, okay so the analogy here is that profit should be to business as blood is to the human. Okay, so we woke up this morning, we got up early, and probably none of us here on this call said, oh, I'm so excited today because I get to pump blood through my vasculature. We didn't, that, that's not what we woke up excited about. We woke up hopefully thinking about, hey, it's Saturday, we get to be with our families, we get to do these events. We, get, we had all these different things that we were thinking about there. And the blood was a means to an end. The blood was, uh, the blood is a means to an end. And in the same way, profit is to a business that way, that a business should be not about everybody's coming together in an employee meeting, hey, let's go out and make money. No, let's go out and serve the world in X, Y, and Z ways. Profits are necessary to keep the business functioning, just like blood is necessary to keep our bodies functioning. But it's not the it's not the purpose. It's it's the means. And what has all too often occurred is that people have confused the the goal from the means. So Milton, I mean Milton Friedman, unfortunately made that huge mistake of elevating the blood to be the purpose, and saying you know functionally saying in that article, that New York Times article I mentioned before, the purpose of a business is to make money. That's like saying the purpose of a human is to pump blood. No. No, 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 that is not true. The purpose of a business, um, and I read this before, I'll read it again, is to create opportunities to express aspects of our God-given identity or image and meaningful and creative work. And then number two, business exists to produce goods and services that enable the community to flourish. So that's what what a good foundation for understanding kingdom business should be about. I think I'll stop here. We're right at time. And then we will take up at part two with a lot more on the practical applications here as well as taking questions. But uh, I'm so glad you were all here this morning. This is, uh, if you stay through this whole talk, I think you now have an excellent foundation for thinking about biblical businesses and what it represents. So God bless and hope to see you later on.
1: Thank you, Brother Finney. Um, Looking forward to part two this afternoon. We will be having a Q and A then. Submit your questions. I put the uh, email up on the chat. Contact at strength to strengthorg And we look forward to seeing everyone again this afternoon. Would you close us in prayer, Brother Finney? I would love to.
0: Our Father, I pray that you would give us great wisdom not to fall prey to these false visions of what business could be, either the Greco-Roman Pandora's box vision of work and business, nor the Milton Friedman financial capital vision, but that we would be grounded afresh in your scriptures. I thank you that you have made us for a purpose to, to be um, men and women who go out and, and work the earth and keep it and, and use it for, for the great glory of, of bringing your kingdom to this earth. I pray that you will get us inspired about how powerful business and work are. To shape the world, to change the world, to uh, to ultimately demonstrate your attributes of provision to a world that, that badly needs to see what what it is to see the community of Christians exhibit that city on a hill, that life and that light uh, to a world of of profit seeking and corruption. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, Amen.
1: Amen. Thank you. Well, we look forward to seeing you all again at three o'clock this afternoon. Uh, Go with God.
0: As iron sharpens iron, so a man
1: sharpens the countenance of his friend.